Amen. Well, guys, would you grab a Bible? Uh, Tonight, we're going to find ourselves in the book of Acts. We are continuing our study in the book of Acts, making our way through it. We made our way about halfway through the chapter last week. And so uh, tonight, we're going to finish that chapter and longing that God would speak to us in the midst of it. So again, hopefully you got a Bible, you're making your way to Acts chapter 8. About midway through, we're going to begin in verse 26. If you're using a church Bible, you got the page number there on the screen. You can use an app, you can use uh, you know, one way or another, but we want you to be in the Word of God with us. We are longing that this would be a space where God would speak to us what He has for us. And we're longing for that place to be a place that He would work in the midst of that this evening. So again, just believing uh, in the authority and the power of the Word of God, believing that that is good and longing for you to be a part of that. With that in mind, let's take a moment just to ask God to do that, opening up His Word to us. So Bibles in hands, let's just open our hearts and ask God to give us ears to hear. Father, here we are this evening and just want to present ourselves to you. I circle back to something I was just saying in prayer to you a moment ago, Father, and just recognizing right now, you're a God who knows us. Uh, You're a God who, in your great compassion and faithful love, is pursuing and drawing us with those bands of love, with those cords of love that would draw us into your ways. I'd like to just come and say, Lord, yes, please, uh, do that tonight. Show us what you are. Show us what you have. Encourage us in your ways. Speak into our lives as as you and you alone can do. Pray for words. Pray that you would speak. I pray for ears to hear, hearts that are open, and that you would just do a good work inside of them. Lord, anything that needs help in that right now, breathe life into that so that we can hear you and respond to you this evening. We ask for that now as we thank you for this opportunity and this time. We do that together in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God is preparing things for your life. I don't know if it's as exciting to you as I wanted to just launch out to it at the beginning. I think about what he tells us in Ephesians 2, that if you're a follower of Jesus tonight, he says, we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand, that we would walk in them. God goes ahead of us. God precedes us in our days, and He literally creates spaces, creates opportunities for us that our lives can have impact and value and be able to walk in those things. That's a glorious reality. That's a good space for us to consider and think through the things that are there, and that's exactly what we want to come into this evening as we join a story here in the middle of Acts 8. We pick it up, and we're going to meet a man that We've talked about for the last couple of weeks, his name is Philip. Uh, he is a servant there in the, in the church in uh, Jerusalem, was named one of the seven who had come alongside to help serve food uh, in, in the midst of that, and yet God had begun to move in greater ways through his life. Persecution breaks out in the church, and so the whole church is driven out of Jerusalem. And if you were with us last week, Philip had made his way down to Samaria, and he'd begun sharing Jesus, and multitudes had responded. I mean, all of that's really good news, but it's again just a reminder that this guy has been faithfully serving Jesus. Um, He had been entrusted with responsibilities. He had been in a place where God was working, but now God has something special for him. And it's exactly what we just read there in Ephesians, that God is going to prepare a good work for him, and I want you to watch it. 
I want you to watch it not as if it's always a one-size-fits-all. It doesn't always happen exactly this way, obviously. But somehow just watching it unfold for him can be a space that would inspire us you know, in that reality of being able to walk in the midst of that. And so let's begin there in verse 26 as we join our section there. And I want to just look at a space where God is going to give very supernatural guidance uh, to Philip and calling him what he has for him. So pick it up there in verse 26. Now an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip, saying, Arise, go towards the the south along the road, which goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is desert. So he arose and went, and behold, a man of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority under Candace, the queen of the Ethiopians, who had charge of all of her treasury, had come to Jerusalem to worship. He was returning. And sitting in his chair, he was reading Isaiah the prophet. Then the Spirit said to Philip, go near and overtake this chariot. Wow. Okay, we get this in space, and I want you just to understand right off the bat, again, this is supernatural guidance. This is an angel. This is an angel that shows up to Philip and is going to give him instruction on, on where he wants to go. And he just tells him that. He just tells him, hey, I have a space for you to go to. I have a, a, a place. He says, I just want you to head out on this road, uh, on a road from Jerusalem to Gaza. And it, it, what we know a little bit about the culture in that day is this was a, a very untraveled road. It wasn't the normal road that was in the midst of it. In fact, it just tells us right there, this is the middle of the desert. Like there's nothing out there. He says, I just want you to go on a road. I just want you to go on a road. And I want to begin by just having you understand that sometimes the way that God would guide our life doesn't always make immediate or natural sense. There was no way, if you were reading the whole story here in Acts 8, this would be your easy go-to. I mean, Philip has just been preaching to crowds. Uh, He has been sharing the gospel there in the cities of Samaria. Great things are happening. And yet God has an appointment for him. God has a space where he's inviting him uh, to step towards this. And I find myself just thinking of that reality. I think of Jesus who lived his life this way. Think about one of the accounts we have in John's gospel. Some of you would know it where it tells us that he left Judea and departed again to Galilee, but he needed to go through Samaria. Needed to go through Samaria? Yeah, it wasn't the, the, the normal travel. It wasn't the road. But if you know the story, he needed to go there because there was a, an appointment for him. There's a lady at a well who's going to hear the gospel, who's going to respond to him, and he's stepping towards this space. But it's worth just kind of understanding again how nonsensical this would be, how in a place that it just wouldn't even be there. Imagine it if it was you here this evening. What if God were to guide you and be like, hey, I want you to like hop in your car, and I want you to go... Um, to Mesa, like is it Mesa, like a halfway been here in Vaughn, like that one building that there's nobody there, it's like, I just want you to drive there, and you'd be like, there's nothing out there, like there's, like there, there's, there's, I mean, I don't know why you would want me to go there, that doesn't even make sense, that, that's, that's not rational, that's not logical, uh, this isn't a, an easy, like, hey, this is a great, you know, uh, you know, gospel opportunity, it's like, man, go out in the middle of the desert, that I, why would I even do that, and yet that's exactly what God's going to invite him to do, into a space that he's telling him this, but it's again worth noting Hey, I get to know what's happening. You get to know what's happening, but he doesn't. 
Go back and just read the instruction again. It says, The angel arose and spoke to Philip, saying, in, in, there in verse 26, Arise, go towards the south, along the road which goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. And then the writer inserts, just in case we didn't know it, this desert. It's just, but that's all the instruction he gets. There's, there's no more. There's no, uh, out, nothing else given that's telling him what to expect in that space. There's nothing else that's telling him why to go and do this. It just says, I want you to go. I just want you to go on this road. I just want you to go down to this road in the middle, just in this space, and then to just watch and see what God would do. I find myself considering this and thinking through that proverb that I share fairly often, in many ways rightly so, because it's one of those just well-known ones, but just highlights sometimes God's guidance in our life. In Proverbs 3, verses 5 and 6, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct your paths. I just don't know about you. I just know for me this is a struggle. In fact, it feels like in my life, this has been one of those truths that God has just been bringing back over and over over the last year or so. Can you trust me? Can you just trust me? Even, you, even though you do not understand. And again, maybe that's an easy go-to for you. I'm just going to highlight for me, not so much. Uh, you know, I would have no problem doing it if, if just, Why? <laughs> like, why do you want me to go out towards Mesa? <laughs> like, that doesn't make any sense. I, I hate the road from here to Vaughn. That is like my least favorite road ever. Like, why would I even ever do that? that if you could tell me why. If you could just explain what's going to happen, no problem, I'm in. But that's not what God's saying. He says, how would you like me to direct your life? How would you like me to, to direct your paths? Well, he says, you're going to have to acknowledge me and you have to trust me even when that doesn't necessarily make sense, even when that doesn't necessarily, you know, kind of land in that space. But Philip does it. I mean, he, he does this whole space. He's going to go down there. We meet this, you know, this Ethiopian, which we'll come back and talk about in a moment. He's returning, sitting in his chariot there in verse uh, 28. And then the Spirit just speaks to him again in verse 29. Just go over and take the chariot. Just like run up alongside this chariot. That's what I want you to do. Next piece of guidance comes and he steps into this place and what an incredible place that is. This is a setup. This is a God's opportunity that we're going to talk more about in a moment. But getting to it takes this. It takes a space of being willing and able for, for you to say, okay, God, I'm in. I, I could do that. And I find myself just wanting to take a moment and appeal to you and just say, are you open? Are you open to God doing that in your life? I found myself thinking about that. Joanne and I were talking the other day, and uh, she reminded me of a story uh, of one of Chuck Smith's stories that maybe you've heard if you've ever listened to some of his sermons or messages. And he talks about one time when he was just walking down a road. I think he was going out sharing the gospel and, and just felt like God just prompted his heart. He says, I want you to go over into that mailbox, or kind of like mail slot in the house, and I just want you to yell in it, Jesus loves you. And it's like, that's the dumbest thing in the world. Like, who's going to go and, I mean, like, I'm just going to run up and yell through a mail slot, Jesus loves you, and, and he struggled with it a little bit, struggled with it for a moment or two, and then just thought, eh, you know what, it's pretty much sure God did it. Well, he does it. Long story short, turns out there's a man in the home that's got a gun, getting ready to kill himself, and he's just prayed. God, if there's any reason for me not to do this, 
there's any reason for me not to do this? Would you just give me a sign? And all of a sudden, there's this booming voice through his mailbox. Jesus loves you, you know, and, he, and, 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 and the guy doesn't kill himself, ends up getting saved. Crazy cool story. But here's the thing. I'm just kind of re- reaching out to you again and saying, so what if God were to prompt you? Now, maybe as, as I say this here to you this evening, that's something you're like, oh, I, that happens. I do that. Now, I got to just be honest with you. I find myself thinking, Lord, I, I hope so. I, I, I hope I'm open to that, but I got to also be honest with you. I'm a little bit concerned over my own heart, thinking, I wonder if I'm so logical at sometimes that it's like, okay, if I don't know why I'm doing it, why would I do it? You know, if I don't understand what he's doing or if he doesn't give me the whole package, would I be so willing? And so I find myself right here with this story of Philip getting supernatural guidance kind of reminding you of, of Chuck Smith's story as well, and finding myself just wanting to say, God, I'm, I'm, I'm interested, I'm open. Like, you want to do that, I want, I'd like to be more open. Like, if you want to prompt me to do something, uh, I would like to be receptive to that. And again, I don't know if that's going to land for anybody else this evening, but it's certainly one of the big takeaways from me from this place of thinking, you know, this would have gone nowhere if he wasn't so willing. Uh, this incredible story that's going to unpack for us would have gone nowhere if he wasn't being willing to say, God, if you want me to do something, I'm in. Like, you, you, you want to direct me to drive to Mesa out there, or you want me to go over to the grocery store, or you want me to, and I just show up someplace where you're telling me I, sh- I need to show up, and, or I need to do it. I want to be so responsive. And, and I want to tell you, it doesn't always happen that way. This isn't the, the way that every one of kind of God's, uh, you know, good works unpacked before us, but it can happen this way. It can so happen. And, and, and many times you wouldn't even know it, because again, that's the part of the idea. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not in your understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge Him, and He'll direct your path. He will bring you into the right spaces at the right times. Are you open to that? Are you open to that? Would you kind of even just be willing to say, God, just look upon my heart right now? And, and God, I know I'm looking here and saying, I would like to be so open. I would like to be someone who grows in that sensitivity and space of saying, you, you, you want me to go. I want to be able to step into those places because I don't want to miss good things that God has. I don't want to miss things that God would open into my life in, in, in places. And some of that has to be in that space of saying, okay, God, you can direct my life. Now, maybe it would happen in a very natural way. Maybe it happened in a very, you know, just circumstantial way. But if we're still in that space saying, God, if I believe that you're going to prepare good works, then I need you to help me get into those good works. I need to make sure that I'm responsive to responding to your leading one way or another that would bring me into that place. That's an exciting venture. Make you be that kind of person that he would work in your life to bring you into such stories. Well, supernatural guidance is happening. I mean, there's no other way that, that Philip would have ever showed up here in this desert road except that God directs him, and then we find, well, it is a supernatural setup. Kind of go back and see it. Verse 27, again, Philip just responds, he arose and went, good news, and behold, a man of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority under Candace, the queen of the Ethiopians, who had charge of all of her treasury, and had come to Jerusalem to worship, was returning. And sitting in his chariot, he was reading Isaiah the prophet. 
Now, let's just pause here for a moment. I know this probably makes perfect sense just thinking it through, but it's kind of crazy to try to imagine the backstory to this. We have to make guesses, uh, and, and, and probably wrong in some of the ways, but think, some things we know. Um, he's an Ethiopian. Was he a Jew that had been you know, captured and taken there? Possibly. It's not impossible, and so maybe this is actually his culture, or he's a proselyte. That is a, a Gentile who has said, hey, I want, to be, I want to come and serve a Jewish God. And so maybe he's there. Some would even wonder if here in the Ethiopians, it would have been, uh, you know, in that space where, you know, Solomon talks about the Queen of Sheba coming and, and meeting him and, and some believing that even in her influence, there had become this godly lineage that had been there in her land because this is where he's from. So many questions that would ask, so how did this, you know, man in Ethiopia and find himself seeking God? But he did. He did. Uh, he, he ends up in power. He ends up in position. He's over, you know, just has a greater responsibility, but somehow he decides to make the journey uh, from Ethiopia to Jerusalem to go and worship God. And he's done it. He's returning. Now, again, I have questions. I'm wondering how it went. I'm wondering if this was his first time. I'm wondering if he's disappointed. I'm wondering if he came, you know, and in many ways found what Jesus had talked about and, and, and grieved over when he had, you know, made a whip of cords and had driven away the buyers and sellers in the temple where he says, hey, you're getting in the way of people who are going to come from all nations uh, to come and seek me. I wonder if this man is leaving disappointed. I don't know that he is. I'm just, again, questions that I find myself asking, but I do know this, he's returning and somehow he has a scroll of Isaiah the prophet. Now, that's a big deal, by the way. Uh, you guys all, many of you have Bibles, and it's not as uncommon of a thing in our culture. In that culture, to have a scroll, that would be a big deal. Very, very costly, uh, very expensive endeavor. Maybe he bought it. Maybe he bought it. Maybe he arranged, like, I would like to have a copy of the scriptures myself. Could I? And maybe he got a whole thing, or maybe he just has Isaiah, Isaiah and he's reading it but he doesn't understand it. I mean, he's just, but he's reading it and, 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 he, and, he's, and he's trying to process this whole thing through and yet God is at work. I mean, he is doing this sovereign setup because it just so happens that while he's on that journey, he's gonna run into Philip. Now, I know that this probably makes sense, but what a crazy timing. Had Philip been slow to respond, he probably would have missed him. I mean, this isn't the kind of thing that he's going to this man's house. I mean, this man's on a journey, and his chariot's moving, and he just happens to be passing the space where Philip just happens to be, you know, there, like the Holy Spirit said, go here, and I'm there, and now what, you know? And then there's just a chariot going by, <laughs> and the Spirit's like, that's the one right there run up to the chariot. I mean, it's just this crazy, cool thing of timing. On top of it, I mean, that exact moment that Philip steps into this, guy, this situation, he's reading. He's reading Isaiah 53. I mean, we'll read that just more in a moment. I mean, he just so happens to be reading the book of Isaiah. Not only is he reading out of that book of Isaiah, he's reading one of the most picturesque passages about the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. I mean, this is just incredible, amazing that in one sense we find ourselves looking on everything that's happening here and just gazing what it's on. And so Philip gets there and he even asks him at that moment, tells us, um, so Philip, you know, ends up responding there in verse 30. Philip ran to him and 
heard him reading the prophet Isaiah and said, uh, do you understand what you're reading? And he said, how can I understand unless someone guides me? And, and he asked Philip to come up and sit with him. The place in scripture which he read was this, he was led as a sheep to the slaughter, as a lamb before its shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. In his humiliation, his justice was taken away. And who will declare his generation? His life is taken from the earth. Wow. I mean, this is crazy. This is so exciting that he's not only reading that, he's reading the exact thing, and he's asking all of this and just some fun realities. I just want to, again, just highlight how crazy this is, how I mean, this is a God setup. I mean, I, I know that this is probably not hard for any one of us to look at and think, oh, that doesn't just happen. I mean, that you ran into the person at the right moment, at the right time, and he just so happens to be reading Isaiah 53, and he just so happens to be reading the passage about Jesus, and you just so happen to get there. This is, well, this is what God said he would do, right? This is what he said, that we're his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So God is saying, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do some setups in your life. I'm going to do things that when you get there, it's going to be like so arranged, like, okay, like this is a God thing. This is a God thing that it would happen exactly at this moment in exactly this way. Nobody else could orchestrate this kind of thing. Only God could do that. And what's wonderful about this passage in Ephesians is it just lets us know that this is not the extraordinary thing. This is meant to be ordinary Christianity. This is, this is who we are. We are, we, are, we are workmanship in Christ. We are those who are made for these kinds of things, and God is doing it. Now, it might not always be so, you know, like, wow, you know, you're just meeting somebody on the road at the right time, but it might be. There might be spaces where, where that would happen, where you would find yourself running into somebody, and they're just asking, like, the most opportune question. I mean, like, it's just this crazy space, and God does this kind of thing that you really begin to understand that God's work in our world, it is far less weighted on us creating things. Instead, it's much more us responding, saying, God, I'm in. I, I would be in the midst of this. I would be willing to, to walk in this. And I just love that reality. By the way, a couple quick things. So He's reading Isaiah 53, and some of you know. If you don't know, you might want to go and read Isaiah 53 later. It's an incredible prophecy. It's all about Jesus. I mean, it's just talking about it there. As he just says, you know, um, that he's a, a, a led as a sheep to the slaughter, as a lamb before a shearer is a silent, and it begins to picture Christ, the one who's going to be sacrificed for us. It is so clear that even today, many Jewish uh, people who are not followers of Jesus, I don't know if you know this, they actually skip Isaiah 53. So they read through the scriptures, you know, they kind of have it. And so for, for many of the, of, the, of the layouts that are done for, for Jewish readers, they, 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 for a while they tried to answer and say, well, he's not really talking about Jesus. It's not really talking about this. But, but now he's in a space uh, of where they're saying, hey, they, they don't even try because it's just so clear, which is amazing which is such a glorious thing. And so here's this guy, he's doing that. He just so happens to be reading it. And so he just asks. I mean, this man turns to, to Philip and says, so who is this guy talking about? 
Who's the one who's going to be led to the slaughter and we're going to declare his generation? Now, again, I'm, I'm not an expert here this evening, but I'm going to make a simple guess. I'm pretty sure uh, that most of you could handle that question. I, I don't think any of you would be like, I have no idea. I, I don't even know what we're talking about. You know, Isaiah's confusing to me. I mean, I just, I'm, I'm, I'm going to make a guess that for most of you, you're like, this is like a softball, you know, Sunday school question. It's Jesus. Like, I get to tell you, it's like, this is really pretty easy. I, I know exactly who that is. But God does that. God does this kind of thing in our lives that he would do setups. He would do things that you would find yourself just looking back and saying, hey, that's, that's, that's a pretty amazing thing. I mean, this isn't Philip's doing. Philip doesn't create this opportunity. He doesn't design this opportunity. He's not the one that's drawing this man all the way from Ethiopia to, to Jerusalem. He's not the one who's, you know, encouraged him to have a copy of the scroll of Isaiah and happens to be reading exactly chapter 53 at that moment. This is all God. And I, again, just want to invite you into a space of believing it, believing that God would do such things. God would do such things in your life because he promised to do it. He said he would go ahead of you to prepare good works that you could walk in them. So again, I'm just responding from my own heart and not from yours, but if it's helpful just to think it through. See, I find myself wanting this and once more, maybe in a kind of questioning kind of way, thinking, Lord, I, I don't want to miss these things. I, I don't want to miss them. I, I don't want to be so stubborn and self-willed that you would do sovereign setups and I would just go right by them. But I'm, I'm aware that I can do that. I'm aware, I'm aware of times I've done it. I'm aware of times that sometimes I've, you know, gotten to the end of a day or something and I've looked back and go, oh, I missed that badly. That was a good one. Like that was a space right there. And I was so distracted and I wasn't paying attention and I wasn't responsive. I, I, I know of opportunities that I've missed, but it creates in me this space that I just respond to that kind of forgiveness for my past, but it gives me a hunger for this in the future where I pray this verse. I mean, I pray the Ephesians 2.10 verse fairly regularly. It's like, God, I believe you. I believe that you've gone ahead of me to prepare good works. I just don't want to miss them. God, God give, me, give me the ability to respond, to step into to things that, I don't have, that you're going to do because there are, there are sovereign things that he would make happen and, and work in that. And part of that space is that place of just believing that and, and responding to that. Well, let's go back to it. So we get this whole place, and just I want to go back and just read it again. So uh, it tells us there in verse 30, Philip ran up to him, heard him reading the prophet Isaiah, and said, Do you understand what you're reading? And he, the Ethiopian eunuch, said, How can I, unless someone guides me? And he asked Philip to come up and sit with him. The place in which he read was this, He was led as a sheep to the slaughter. As a lamb before its shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. In his humiliation, his justice was taken away. And who will declare his generation? For his life is taken from the earth. So the eunuch answered Philip and said, I ask you, whom does this prophet say this? Of himself or some other man? Then Philip opened his mouth and beginning at this scripture, preached 
Jesus to him. That's a good verse. That's a good verse. I just want you to think about it for a moment. It just tells us that Philip responds to us because now this is what Philip's doing. I mean, pretty much everything up to this point in time has all been God. I mean, God has directed him. God has created the opportunities. He's just stepped into it, but now he's responding to it. And it says that, again, Philip opened his mouth and, beginning at the Scripture, preached Jesus to him. And I don't want to make much out of small things, but I, I, I feel like there's just a few things here that you ought to quickly notice. I like that it tells us he opened his mouth. There's just a funny way of him saying it. I mean, of course he opened his mouth. He's getting ready to respond. But I like that because that's often the struggle. Maybe you know what I mean. Maybe you've been there where you feel like God is giving you an opportunity. He is creating a space for you to tell somebody about Jesus. Maybe somebody is asking a question. And there's this weird moment that it's like whether you're going to like open your mouth or you're not. You know, whether you're going to be like, <laughs> like, not me. Like, you know, I, I'm not. And then there's a moment sometimes where it just, it's like that first step. It, it, it is like, I was like, well, that's a really interesting question that you asked. You know, I'm just, I mean, you just kind of like, okay, I'm just going to, I'm going to just, I'm going to, I'm going to do that. And there's a space of just opening your mouth. And I just don't want to miss that sometimes that's the biggest battle. Maybe it's the biggest battle that at that moment you would be willing to say, okay, God, I'll, I'll talk. You know, I'll, I'll step into this. Now, I like that. I like that beginning. It's a good space, but he also begins right there. I mean, so that's where it is. This is the God opportunity. It's there in Isaiah 53. So he begins there, and without making a bunch of that, hey, if you're going to believe in sovereign setups, then step into those sovereign setups in what God sets up. I mean, if this is a setup, then how dangerous it would be to go right by it. Again, we live in a weird generation, so I'm trying to think about how to say this. Um, sometimes when we think about telling somebody about Jesus, uh, we feel our own inadequacy. And sometimes our response to that is to create a formulaic response of sharing the gospel, something that's not found anywhere in Scripture. So, I mean, again, you could look at the way that Jesus works in people's lives, and one of the interesting things about Jesus is he never does the same thing twice. Like, he pretty much, I mean, his dealings with people are both unique and personal where they are. And so you look at the gospel, how that unfolds, you look at the book of Acts, there's none of that. But what has happened in our day and age is because we're a little bit uncomfortable with that, sometimes we come up with... Um, packages. So it would be something like maybe you've learned it. Maybe you uh, had somebody teach you kind of how to share the four spiritual laws or how to take somebody down the Romans road. Or maybe you learned, uh, I think one day it was called the continuousing witnessing program. Or I mean, maybe you did one of these things that learned how to share gospel. And, and so pretty much uh, if you ever do share the gospel, it just comes out like that. You know, someone begins asking a question, and so you just kind of, instead of actually just stepping up to what God's given, you just begin throwing out what you throw out, you know, so 
So if you died tonight, what would happen to you? You know, I just went, and you kind of been walking him through, you know, so what do you think about this? And, you know, do you, do you believe in that? Whatever the, the, the road that you have a propensity to use, some of you have that, some of you, you know, kind of have roads of, hey, you got to share the Ten Commandments, you got to preach the law first, or, or whatever it is. And again, I'm not trying to be overly dismissive. Uh, because you know what? Sometimes God can work through those foolish things. He certainly does. Uh, some of you here tonight, you are, you're like, hey, that's how it happened for me. Somebody shared the gospel just like that. They took me down the Romans road or they you know, gave me a four spiritual loss. God is great about that. But I find myself thinking that if we really believe in sovereign setups, take the setup. So if they're asking you a question, so maybe, maybe it's this, like, hey, what's Isaiah 53 about? Start in Isaiah 53. Like, well, that's, well, let's talk about that for a moment. Or maybe the question the person is talking to you about is, so, you know, what do you think is going to happen, you know, at the end of the world? Are, are, are you worried about, you know, AI, you know, kind of taking over the world and destroying everything? I mean, what's your, I mean, if that's their question and that's where they are and that's the sovereign setup, I think you would be dismissive to not just say, I'm going to start there. I'm going to start there. Hey, let's talk about that. That's a good, good question. Let's talk about what you're thinking about. Let's process that through for a moment, but then just don't miss it. Don't miss how it says it. So again, there in verse 35, it says just simply this way. Then Philip opened his mouth and beginning at the scripture, preached Jesus to him. Get it to Jesus. Do get it to Jesus. Hey, that's not a formulaic thing. That's all we got. That's our gospel. I mean, it's Jesus. It's always Jesus. It's always him. I mean, the nature of our gospel is to get there and to always say, hey, let's talk about that for a moment. Maybe we're going to talk about the end of the world. Maybe we're going to talk about, you know, why I believe in God's sovereignty and, and why AI is not going to destroy all of mankind because God's sovereign. He's doing a work. We, we have a package in the whole thing about it. But let me tell you what that really does for me. Then you take him to Jesus. I, I want to tell you why I believe that, because God so loved the world, he sent his son. I want to tell you about what he is. He's that one, because if I get to you know, step into a sovereign setup, it's, it's certainly going to get to Jesus. And I don't want to make it overly simplistic, but at the same point, I just do. That's our whole message. That's our whole message. I mean, it's kind of that, you know, goofy thing. Sometimes people tell you, hey, you learn in Sunday school some of the main lessons. Like, you know, the answer to all the questions is, is Jesus. It's always that way. But it is supposed to be that way. In fact, it doesn't go past that. There's a whole uh, theological, uh, you know, branch of, of theology that's kind of goes into Christ-centered preaching. And, and one of the things that's often talked about is that, hey, if it's preaching, it always gets to Jesus. Um, because the whole Bible is about Jesus. Uh, Jesus said, hey, you search the scriptures in them, you think you have life. These are that which testify of, of me. It tells us in the book of Revelation that the whole scriptures is, is, is about Jesus. So every time we're there, it's as if we find that scarlet thread, we get to Jesus, and, and that's, that's our message, that's what we're getting to say. And in a very simple way, that's what we always need to hear. Now, again, I don't want to make it where it's, it's problematic to anybody, but I, I hope you get that. I hope, I hope there's never a time here that we open up the Word of God that you don't find yourself wondering, so I wonder how we're going to get to Jesus here and then find out we do. Um, because, I, I mean, I, I'm, I'm going to make no apology for this. I do it every time. I mean, somehow. Somehow we're going to get to Jesus. Somehow we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna make a beeline from whatever we're talking about but the essence of the scripture is always getting us to Christ. It's always getting us there. 
That's the message we have. That's, that, that's the message that we need to have, so it's what I'm always trying to do. But again, it's a good example from Philip that that's what he's trying to do. And again, I don't want to make this overly complicated, but see, the danger would be God gives you a sovereign setup, and then you just share your own wisdom. God gives you a sovereign setup, and then you talk of what you think is wrong with the world. And, and, and you get into politics, and you get into everything else. Now, again, if that's their question, that's good. Begin there. But I, I just want to tell you, it's not where we need to stay, because I don't know about you. It's, the only way I make it through any day is Jesus. I mean, Jesus is the center of my heart, life, soul, and, and knowing him. So being able to do exactly this is that. And I love that in some ways, this center verse in this section is so simple. He opened his mouth. And beginning at that scripture, he preached Jesus. Pretty simple. But it's a good example. It's a really good example for us to follow and say, hey, that's exactly what we're going to need to do. We need to get them to Jesus and follow with me what happens. So he's doing that. He's telling them about Jesus. Then in verse 36, now they went down the road and they came to some water. And the eunuch said to him, see, here's water. What hinders me from being baptized? Then Philip said, if you believe with all your heart, you may. And the answer is that I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. So he commanded the chariot to stand still. Both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and he baptized him. Crazy cool story. So just to say it very, very simply, this guy gets saved and baptized right then and there. I mean, he's like, can I get baptized now? And he's like, well, uh do you really believe? And he's like, yeah, I do. So, well, yeah, let's do it. You know, and, and so they step into this moment, and, and right here in that moment, he's able to step into this reality. And, and so, again, this sovereign setup has worked into this man's soul being redeemed, where this man gets saved. I mean, gets radically, wonderfully saved, testifies through it through baptism, which is an incredibly good space. Now, we don't want to spend a bunch of time on this because we're kind of thinking it uh, through in this supernatural guidance, but at the same moment, I just want to tell you, this is one of these beautiful pictures that gives us a very good practical picture of what baptism is. And so without spending a bunch of time on it, I just want you to notice baptism isn't what saves this man. He says, do you believe in Jesus? I mean, have you believed him? He's like, I do. I, I believe in Jesus. He says, well, then, then we can baptize you. Baptism isn't, it doesn't save anybody, but it's the right response. It's the right response because baptism pictures that of a new birth experience. I mean, baptism has some incredible nuggets in it that really testify of being born again. And so the Bible would call us saying, hey, you know, you should be baptized when you, when you get saved. Again, I, I recognize for some of you, you've grown up in different cultural places and there are some that believe, you know, kind of teach infant baptism or baptism when people are young. And I just want to say very simply, that's not this. This is, hey, do you believe? This is a response to belief. And if you now respond to it, then yeah, we could do that. But it's also so simple. We tend to make things complicated. So in some churches, again, some of you have had it where you did, you know, get saved and you wanted to get baptized. And they said, well, that's going to be great. Well, you know, we have about a nine-month course you need to take. You know, you're going to have to, you know, go through this and memorize 16 scriptures. And hey, not a bad thing. I understand some of the, of, of the weights of that that are encouraging people to really be saved, but it's also worth noting that's none of this. Baptism is that response that happens, can happen as soon as somebody gets saved. Uh, you know, I mean, this man is probably minutes old in the Lord, you know, and he's like, I believe everything you just said. Can I get baptized now? And he's like, 
Sure, <laughs> let's go for it. Let's do it like right now. I guess we can, we can, we can step into that, and it's, and it's a beautiful expression of, of, of how this guy gets saved. But again, it's one of these moments that if you could just see it and say, hey, this is a jewel. This is a, a glorious opportunity that Philip has stepped towards, that he's stepped into, that he's been able to, to walk in and, and watch this guy get saved and, and, and watch everything that's happening in, in the midst of that and, and been able to be a part of that. And, and once more, I'm doing my best to hold that out to you as a possibility, that God would want to do things inside of you that watch, you know, somebody's life unpack. Maybe they get saved. Maybe they come back to Jesus. Maybe, maybe you just get to step into a, a space that you'd be able to look back and say, wow, look at that. I, I, I followed God, and I showed up at the right moment, and I opened my mouth, and I got him to Jesus, and look what God does. I mean, that's a, a space that is worth, again, just thinking through, hey, God goes ahead of us to prepare good works, that we could walk in them, and that would radically affect and change lives. Well, we go back to our story. So Philip does that. Again, this man gets saved, which is incredibly exciting, and so he baptizes him at the end of verse 38. Now, when they'd come up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord caught Philip away, so the eunuch saw him no more, and he went his way rejoicing. Okay, so crazy story. This is one of those ones like, you know, so he finishes the baptism, and he's like, okay, we're done, you know. Uh, I have a little bit of like Star Trek in my history, so for part of me, it's like this little, you know, kind of just transports him away, or I don't know, maybe it's kind of like just picked him up like Elijah. Somehow or another, he's gone. I mean, he's like gone. He's like, done. We, we, we did what I needed to do. I, I stepped into the opportunity that God had, and supernaturally, Somehow the Spirit catches them away so that as soon as they're done with the baptism, Philip is now just being able to step away from that. I mean, and he takes them away, which is a wild scene, but it's been a wild little opportunity that God puts before us. Again, that's not a promise that it would happen for us that way, but at the same moment, there is that space where sometimes God will give you an opportunity, and sometimes, sometimes, that's all you get to do. I mean, I don't know. I mean, I found myself wondering, I wonder what Philip would have done. Been like, okay, like you're gonna, I'll come over to your house. You're gonna, I mean, I don't know. Let's, you know, maybe he would kind of think, well, what do I, how, what do, I do now? You know, but in one sense, he did what God had him to do. And now God takes Philip away so that maybe he never sees this guy again until he sees him in eternity. One of the fun things about that is that space where God would just invite you into that place of saying, God, I'll do what you want me to do, and when it's done, it's done. I mean, whatever, I, I mean, if it's a work of God, then, then we get to place parts in it, but it really is his work. You know, it tells us in, in Philippians uh, 1, verse 6, that, you know, that's our confidence. If God begins a good work in us, then, then we know, or begins a work in others, we, we know he's faithful to complete it. And there's something about being able to step into something like this and step out of it. If God guides you into something and say, okay, there it is, and then, then just, just being able to trust it into God's hand and just know that he's God. Like, he's the one who's really working in people's lives, and, and those things are there for us just to step into as God would give us opportunities and trust him with them. Philip is taken away, and it just kind of ends our chapter with that of his continuing faithfulness. So Philip was at Azaz. In passing through, he preached in all the cities till he came to Caesarea. Wow. So 
supernaturally guided, supernaturally taking away, but somehow the chapter ends a little bit differently. It ends with him just being faithful, space by space, place upon place, you know, just he preaches in all the cities, like he just goes from one city to the next, just walking in whatever's there. How is this helpful? Well, let me do my best to kind of pull you back around for a moment. So this is a pretty incredible story. Philip being supernaturally guided, sovereign setup, baptism, snatching away at the end of the whole thing. I mean, you, you might look at that and think, wow, like, I'd like that to happen every day. I mean, could we do that? Like, I mean, how often is that going to be that way? But as far as we know, it never happens again. In fact, as we watch Philip in this chapter, if you were to take it as a whole, he steps into opportunities several ways. Go back with me just for a moment. So it tells us there in verse 4, earlier in the chapter, says, therefore, those who are scattered went everywhere preaching the word. So people who are in Jerusalem, they're being persecuted. Great persecution is broken out, it tells us in verse 1, against the church. And Philip went down to the city of Samaria, and he preached Christ to them. So first thing that happens is life falls apart. Like he is driven out of Jerusalem, and he just, okay, well... (laughs) You know, circumstances forced this on me, so I'm going to preach Christ. That's what I'm going to do. I'm going to take that to happen. And so Philip does that. Great numbers get saved. Um, It goes on to tell us there in verse 6, And multitudes with one accord heeded the things spoken by Philip, hearing and seeing the miracles which he did. And and so there's just this incredible moment that's happening. But it, it, it happens at first because he's just responding to very difficult circumstances. Then we get this sovereign supernatural setup and Philip steps into that then when that's done it ends the chapter in this place where he's just moving from one city to the next just being faithful and and there's this multifaceted um almost way that you're watching God unfold Philip's life for him and I think that's a little bit a part of the story that there is something in this that's inviting us into the journey Sometimes it's going to be forced on us. Sometimes it can be supernaturally guided. Other times it's just faithful. Like I'm just doing the next thing because I did one city and now I go to the next city. That's just where I'm going to go now. And yet God is moving in an incredible way through this man's life. And somehow it's put there for you and I to be a picture that would say, hey, do you believe that God would do this in you? Do you believe that, that sometimes he would, you know, forcibly kind of get you into some situation, sometimes supernaturally guide you, sometimes naturally just you're doing the next thing, but one way or another believing that each of those kind of find themselves in his plan of unfolding life where you would find yourself wanting to respond. So I don't know where that does for you, but I just want to bring it back to where I am. I love this story. I, I love this account of Philip, but it just stirs up that hunger and desire in me that that passage that we've been talking about in Ephesians 2, that I find myself just thinking, God, I want to believe it more. I want to believe it, that we are your workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which you have prepared beforehand, that we could walk in them. I find myself just looking at that thinking, God, I want more of that, whether it is hard circumstances that would drive us into something, whether it be supernatural guidance or whether it's just continuing faithfulness. I know for me, I just want to be a part of it. And I believe it, but I want to believe it more. I believe it, but I, I want to look for it. I, I, I want to be one who is 
I don't know. I, I don't know how many of you guys grew up, you know, with your kids or you did that, one of those like, you know, hidden picture kind of things. It seems like we used to have like, I think it was a Highlights magazine used to have those with our kids when they were small. And so you'd kind of pull those out and it'd be like, you know, there's a hidden picture in this picture, you know, and you'd be like, where is it? You know, like, what is, you know, and your kids were trying to like, where's the picture behind the picture? Where's the, the hidden picture in the picture? And, and I find myself thinking about that and thinking, that's kind of what this does for me that I kind of find myself stepping into life thinking, God, where's the picture? Where's the good work? Like, like I, I don't want to just see what's in front of me. I, I want to be like, okay, God, if you have something, I want to see it. I, I, I want to step into it. Um, I don't want to miss those things. I don't want to, uh, you know, miss what that would look like in my life. But I'm, I, I, again, I'm just being honest. I know I have missed them. I know I have missed them, but I don't want to. And so my invitation to you, to me, is that we would be those who would say, God, I want to be a part of seeing what you would do in our world. I want to be a part of seeing that, not only just for the joy of being able to see that, but because of what literally happens through this story. I mean, people get saved. I mean, God is able. I mean, here's this Ethiopian, and I find myself thinking, I wonder all the things that God did to bring him to this moment but he gets saved. He gets saved. I think you and I'll meet him someday, you know, probably in heaven. I mean, maybe we'll be like, I read your story, you know, and be like, oh yeah, everybody did, you know. Uh, I don't know, but I just, you know, it'd just be kind of like, I wonder what that would be like to be able to think, it's so incredibly cool to be a part of that, but that's the good work that God is doing, and, and he's inviting you to be a part of that, where you and I could say, God, whatever part I would play, um, you know, whatever part that would be, I, I, I want to be a part of that. And so with an invitation to that, we're going to head towards the end of our service and we're going to head into a space where we're going to take communion tonight. It's our last Wednesday night of the month. And so it's in that space that we get to take communion. So you can close your Bibles if you haven't already done so. But I want to just head towards it with this joy in the gospel, this joy in what God is doing. Now, here's what I know for some of you. We've thought through this story tonight, and maybe you have already thought, if not, maybe you ought to think about for a moment, the incredible things God did to bring you to him, the setups that he did in your life to put the right person at the right time, to say the right things, to, to share with you what you needed to hear. And at the end of the day, it was God's faithfulness, not the faithfulness of people, that drew and draws you to the cross you to see Jesus, to see that, hey, this is life. This is the, that somehow where, where you were, someone began there and helped you get to Jesus. To see that it was really all about him, that life is in him, that salvation is in him. And I think that's worth just celebrating and, and recognizing, thank you, God, for getting me here. Because maybe it was as random or it could have almost missed it like Philip and this Ethiopian meeting. I mean, how easy their paths could have crossed. Half an hour late, you know, how, how easy this could have happened, but God made it happen for them and for you to draw you to that space that we would find out, hey, God is doing this. There's an incredible work where God is drawing people to Christ, and he has done that in me. It's worth celebrating that tonight. And if you're a follower of Jesus, I invite you to, to kind of just being so glad that God did this to bring you here. If you're not yet a follower of Jesus, maybe that's what he's doing right now. 
Maybe he's drawing you even here this evening to surrender your life to Jesus so that you with this Ethiopian say, I believe, like I, I, I want to believe. And, and we'd invite you into that space of, of believing. And if that's you and you're coming to Christ, we give you that opportunity to take communion tonight in a way of acknowledging Christ. If that's not where you are, if you haven't surrendered to Jesus, then this isn't for you. Uh, as we take communion in a few moments, this isn't for you to take part in, and we would discourage you from doing that if you're not an active follower of Jesus. If you are, this is for you to do that. So communion's about remembering Jesus, and I want us, again, think about how God brought us here, and again, I'm inviting anybody else you know, to Christ, but certainly in the midst of it, I just want to come back to it and say, wouldn't it be good for us to help more people find him? I mean, that's part of the story of this chapter. It's like, wow, sovereign setup, supernatural guidance, beginning there and getting him to Jesus. It really is about this. And it could be even tonight as we take communion, God would just stir that up inside of you, where you would say, God, I'm, I would like to be in. I would like to be willing. I'd like to be responsive so that if you ask me to do something, um, I would do that. I, I would do that. In fact, I, I kind of feel just like I need to say one more quick thing about this. The interesting thing about how God works in the lives of people is that sometimes your part is a singular part. Philip's was. Philip's interaction with this man, did it last half an hour? An hour, maybe? And he was brought into that moment and he was taken out of that moment. And sometimes the work that God has you to do in other people's lives is equally as simple and singular. Again, because sometimes we live in a world that has prepackaged the gospel, we can find ourselves feeling, you know, I haven't really shared the gospel if I haven't taken him down, you know, all the steps of the Roman road. You know, like if I haven't, you know, if I didn't give him the whole package, you know, did I fail? But sometimes God's part is just a little part. I mean, sometimes you're going to be a part of the Ethiopian getting a copy of the scriptures. Maybe you're the person that God says, hey, give him a, give him a Bible. Just give him a Bible. And then leave them. <laughs> then somebody else is going to step in and, and, and you get to play your space in it. But you've got to be willing to do that. And God is in the business of doing that. That's what we celebrate tonight as we take communion. He is drawing people to Christ. And yet we could be saying, God, I want to be a part of that spaces. Whatever spaces you would have, that's what we want to do. So here's what we're going to do. You guys know how we do this on Wednesday night. But just again, quick explanation. So we do communion just a tiny bit different. Uh, we still take communion together in the sense that we're taking it in the same room. Uh, communion is always meant to be something that we find biblically that we take with God's people. But we do it a tiny bit different on Wednesday nights in that I'm going to pray, ask God to prepare us for it. Then we're going to place the communion elements up here in front of the stage, and we're going to sing two songs. And we're going to invite you in the midst of those two songs to take communion. Then we're going to invite you to come up. You can come stand up here. You could kneel. Uh, you could take it back to your chair. Uh, and whenever you're ready, just kind of just between you and the Lord in this space and yet with God's people, just acknowledging Christ, acknowledging who he is and what that is. And so taking communion, when you're done taking communion, um, there's little squares uh, on your chairs in front of you. Those are for communion cups. You can put those in the metal uh, little boxes down there. And then just continue in worship with us, just making him the focus, making him the one that we delight and desire. So let's ask him uh, to draw us into that. And again, just inviting you uh, in this space to take communion with us, longing that however God has spoken, that he's brought us to that, that we would be able to, to find ourselves there. So let's ask him for that. 
Father, we come right now, and I thank you for this really fun, I mean, kind of a cool, cool story of how you got Philip into the moment where this Ethiopian man gets saved. God, you're amazing. I I watched this whole thing come out, and certainly you're the hero of the story. You're the one who was drawing and setting up, and the message that was shared is you. God, we think about that from beginning to end and how glorious, how good that is. God, I think about for many of us here this evening, we're yours, and somehow you did this in our life. Thank you. Thank you for getting us to Jesus. Thank you for having someone preach Christ to us in a way that we saw it, believed, and got saved. I thank you for that this evening. God, I pray do it again. Draw people to you even here and now. Those who don't know you, we just pray for a softening and a drawing. But Lord, as we've talked about this this evening, I also just want to celebrate Christ this evening in a way that also says, Lord, I want more people to find you. I want more people who are hurting and lost and lonely and confused to find you. And God, I watch this whole incredible account that you give us here, and I just want to say, Lord, I I believe you. I believe that you do that. I believe that you do that in our lives, that you go ahead of us to prepare good works that we could walk in them. So God, I'm just asking, help us not to miss them. Help us not to, in our arrogance and our hard-headedness and stubbornness, be those who would resist just simply listening to and following you. Lord, where we have so elevated our own understanding that we're unwilling to do anything if we don't understand how it's all going to work, forgive us. Um, Make us those who could trust you with our whole heart and not lean on our understanding. And you could direct our lives to be a part of your good plan. I believe you. I believe you do that. And I just, Lord, for me, I'm I'm just presenting myself to you and saying, God, I, I would like to not miss anything you have for me. I really would like to walk in those opportunities that you would open up into my path. So God, I'm just asking, give us, give me desire for it, give us desire for it, and and to do so in a way that we would get to this picture of Christ, that you're that suffering servant of Isaiah 53. You're the one whose life was taken who was given for us. You're the, 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 the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Thank you. Thank you for that. As we remember you this evening, I simply pray that you would help it to be a good remembrance, but also an encouraging place that we'd long to be a part of your good work. We ask for that together now in Jesus' name. Amen.